How many of y'all enjoyed having the Myers with us last week? Amen. Missionaries to Mexico, that uh, was awesome. Hopefully we'll be able to keep in contact with them more and, uh, and be able to show you a little bit more about what they're doing. But when they came, uh, we paused our series on prayer. So we're going to jump back in for part four of When We Pray. Those are Jesus' words. He told us when we pray because it's a given. If you're a follower of God, you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to pray. Now, prayer is hard sometimes, though, and prayer can be a struggle, but it's okay if you stumble. It's okay if you're unsure of the right words. Just don't give up, because there are breakthroughs of intimate closeness in prayer if you continue to push through the dry times. We've been looking at Jesus' response to the disciples when they asked him to teach them to pray. We know this as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see this model not to be, uh, you know, repeated just absent-mindedly to uh, just as some type of magic prayer or something like that. But this is a model of how we should form our prayers. So it starts with praise, remembering who he is, and then trusting him with control. And we come humbly asking for forgiveness and reminding our hearts that we need to forgive those around us. We confess our faults to God, we admit our failures, and we agree with God about our sin, and then we yield ourselves to his way. Now, you're probably familiar with the last line of this prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And you might not find that in every translation of the Bible that you might read because the earliest Greek manuscripts don't have that line in there. And also, many of the early fathers like Tertullian, Origen, Ambrose, and Augustine, they don't mention that line. And that's why you won't find this tagline in some translations. Now, some of the later manuscripts have it. And sometimes what can happen when copying scriptures, the scribes might make a note in the margins and uh, it might accidentally later on get included into uh, the scripture there. But that's what's so amazing about the Bible is we have 15 to 20,000 early manuscripts from many different uh, languages. We have an embarrassment of riches for God's word. So while we aren't sure whether Jesus said those words to his disciples uh, to pray this, we definitely can believe it because this is actually a quote from the Old Testament. First Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all of it. In your hands are power and might, and in your hands it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. 
This passage is pure worship from the heart of King David. And this is a prayer of dedication for Solomon's temple. As David passed the crown from uh, himself to his son, King Solomon. They were waiting for this permanent temple for hundreds of years. And God finally did it. And it was this great and amazing celebration. Although these men were great and powerful, they bowed their knee to God. And we too must bow our hearts to God and the will of our will to God's will to surrender and to yield our plans and our ideas to God because he is the king. It's his world and we're just living in it. Everything that we have is given to him, uh, given to us by him. And we owe him all of our allegiance. The kingdom is his. He has the power and the glory. And one day, God will rule and reign on this earth just as he does in heaven. And this will happen when there's a new heaven and a new earth and we get our new bodies. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And there was one particular time on this earth during the life of Christ when this looked particularly close to happening. The kingdom of God looked like it was here and he was ready to just take over and make everything in his image. We call it the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. Here's an artist's depiction of what that might be like. I, I like, you know, obviously this isn't like a picture or, or something like that, but I like to be able to visualize what it might look like for Jesus to come into Jerusalem and the people to be ready and prepared to bow down and worship him. And we see uh, Jesus here near the end of his earthly ministry riding into Jerusalem. And for once, he gets the type of welcome that he deserves. And people lay down their cloaks on the ground and they wave palm branches and shout Hosanna to the king of kings, to the king of of Israel. But this ride into Jerusalem was dangerous. Jesus had taught and performed miracles and gained a following, and his, his ministry had made waves. He had rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. The religious elite were not happy with him. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and uh, he was going to remember, just like that Passover does, when God delivered his people from captivity in Egypt. But the Pharisees made plans to capture him when he comes into town. But first, before he arrives in Jerusalem, he stops in Bethany, which is a city two miles outside of Jerusalem. And he stops at Mary and Martha's house. You might remember Mary and Martha because they had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So Jesus goes and he sits there with them around a table and Lazarus is sitting there eating with them as well. And the chief priests were plotting even to kill Lazarus because he was proof of who Jesus was. That'd be awkward, right? This guy got raised from the dead and now we want to kill him. But this is when Mary broke open that expensive perfume and washed Jesus' feet. She dried them with her hair. The disciples didn't really understand what was going on, but Jesus told them 
that this sacrificial action was beautiful because it was anointing him for his burial in just a few days. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, and they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus entered Jerusalem exactly the way that prophecy had foretold, on a donkey, not on a war horse. And this was a royal parade that the people of Jerusalem had made for him. And they laid down their cloaks on the road and they took palm branches off of the trees and they rolled out the red carpet for Jesus so that even his donkey didn't have to walk in the mud. This large crowd had come to the Passover feast and they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they take these palm branches and they went to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. See, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have uh, hundreds of years known as the intertestamental period. And during that time, there was a Jewish sect called the Maccabees, and they led a revolt against the Seleucides. And this is when Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to obliterate all Jewish culture. And he wanted to wipe the whole thing out. And he went in and desecrated the temple that David, we just saw, dedicate earlier on in this, uh, you know, in the verses we just read. So the Maccabees, they went and captured back the temple and then rededicated the temple with a feast of the dedication. And this feast is now known more popularly as Hanukkah. This feast was mentioned two chapters earlier in the book of John. And during this feast, they would wave palm branches to symbolize the victory against their oppressors. You have to understand that this is the setting that they're in. Jerusalem is under the Roman Empire, and they didn't like having these oppressors. So when Jesus came into the cities, that's why they uh, waved the palm branches here in Jerusalem, because they were symbolizing. This victory that they just knew that Jesus was going to, to accomplish and overthrow the Roman government. And that's also why they shouted, Hosanna, to the king of Israel. This lit, uh, word, Hosanna, literally means save us now. Save us now. So on Palm Sunday, they were declaring Jesus was their true king and that he would have the victory and now was the time to set them free from their oppressors. Well, if Pharisees know, they have a problem, right? They're the religious elite, and they kind of work a little bit together with the Roman Empire, even though they didn't love it, but they were in power, and they had say. And they didn't like this uh, disruption. So they even remarked to each other, look how the whole world has followed after Jesus. But for a day... For one day in Jesus' ministry, the people put Jesus in his rightful place. For thine is the kingdom and the power forever. Thine is the glory forever. But it didn't last. 
See, Jesus' plan was far different from theirs. He wasn't coming with the sword this time, but rather with peace. He was coming as the Passover lamb this time to be sacrificed, to take away the sins of the world. But the next time he comes, it will be in victory as the lion of Judah. But for now, they got it. For now, they recognized who Jesus was, and it was good. Jesus is the King of kings, and he does deserve our praise. He can save us. Now, we need to be careful that when we project what Jesus is going to do, that we don't come away disappointed when he doesn't, you know, uh, take down our political opponents or, or change culture in a certain way that we think it should be changed. But instead, we get on board with his plan, whatever that may be. But he does deserve our praise and he can save us and he will get the victory. And we should lay down our cloaks in worship and grab our palm branches and celebrate saying, Jesus, all that is in heaven and all that's in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. All riches and honor are yours. And bow before him and exalt him forever, bowing our will to his and putting his plans before our own. Yours is the kingdom because his ways are always better. Trust him. And this is how we pray. When we pray, we start with praise, remembering who he is. And then we trust him with control. But we also come asking for forgiveness. And we confess our faults to God. And we admit our failures. And we agree with God about our sins. And then we yield ourselves to his way. Because he is the king. Maybe today... That's where you're at right now. You feel right now as we look at God's word that you need to surrender your will to God's will completely. Maybe you even feel called to follow the Lord's calling into ministry or or missions or, or local service in some way, even though you're not sure what that might mean or what would happen. Maybe you need to surrender your desire to do something, and you've been pushing to do something, and what you really need to surrender is to wait and to be patient and to let God lead. But whatever God might be speaking to your heart about today, don't take it back. Don't take control back when things don't go your way, when things get hard. Let's just spend some time today just welcoming the king of kings into our situation and into our circumstance, realizing it's his kingdom and he has the power and he alone deserves the glory. There are lots of ways to remember uh, the parts of prayer. One of them is the acronym PRAY. When you're trying to remember, I want to pray in a way that is pleasing to God You can remember this, to praise, repent, ask, and then yield. Starting off, reminding your heart who is in charge and and giving praise to God and then repenting of anything between you and God and then asking for whatever God would lay on your heart to ask for, whether that's for something in your life or for the people around you. 
And then lastly, yielding and saying, God, your will over my will. We're going to practice this last part right now. Uh, Andy's going to come and play the guitar for us right before we head into this time of communion, yielding our lives to him, bowing our will to his will, recognizing him, Hosanna, asking him to help us right now in whatever we're in. And like loyal subjects to the greatest king of all, bowing our knee in submission. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just take a few moments to pause, to picture yourself as one of those people, seeing Jesus ride into Jerusalem, and you have this opportunity to recognize who he is and to lift up his name. Hosanna, help us. Save us. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But God, do it your way, not my way. Let's take some time in silence and pray.